Good. Let's turn over to Romans chapter 8. We're going to find our way there. I'm going to talk a little bit prior to before we get there, but we will land in Romans 8. Just pray. Let's ask the Lord to come and release revelation. Lord, we set ourselves before you right now and asking you to release revelation by your Spirit to our hearts. God, I pray that you would open our heart up and you would release insight into the way you feel and think about us. The emotions of God and the attributes of who you are as a father. I'm asking that you would release them to our hearts and they would impact us in a powerful way tonight. God, I'm asking, let me speak clearly. Let the word of the Lord come forth and draw us into adoption. Draw us into the revelation of adoption. What that means to be your sons and your daughters. God, I'm asking you would break through into our hearts tonight. Lord, we need you to break through into our hearts tonight. I'm asking you to come and do that, Lord. In the name of Jesus. Good. Everybody said amen. We're going to um, talk tonight about the spirit of adoption and identifying the orphan mentality. Identifying the orphan mentality and, and talking about the spirit of adoption that the Bible promises us. I want to say this. Um, it's been obvious to me that while I've uh, been teaching on this series, I, I, I can sense, I can sense uh, generally what's happening uh, in terms of the receptivity um, uh, when I speak, whether it's here or in conferences or wherever I speak, you can kind of tell what's happening in the crowd. And I've, I've sensed in our house that there's been many that have heard these words and they've been like, oh man, that's good. That's ministering to my heart. And their hearts have been open and receptive to hearing the words about the Father. And then there's been some also who have had challenges hearing these messages because of some of the pain and the challenge that you've gone through in your life personally. And so um, it's like, that's a good word, but I'm not about to go there because I don't want to be a mess. And listen, I get it. I understand that, you know, it's, it's okay. And I just want to admonish us tonight that that's fine. You know, you can get the CDs and you can listen later and, and at a time when it's best for you that you think. But, you know, I would encourage you that perhaps the Lord has got you here right now for right now, you know, and, and not to shut your heart down saying, oh, this is too painful for me to deal with, but allowing the Lord to investigate and minister to you in areas that you need ministry to. And uh, I want to just encourage you to, even though it might be a little bit challenging to look into some of these things, especially what I'm going to talk about tonight, that uh, you would allow yourself to be a target uh, of the Spirit of the Lord, allow your heart to be open, and allow the Lord to minister right to you. And um, I think that if we will... Um, allow God to speak into us and, and not put up the shields that um, God will deal in our hearts in supernatural ways even tonight. I believe that. I really, really believe that. And so um, if, if some of what I go over seems to hit a little close to home for you, uh, just let it hit. 
Amen. Because I'm not going to rip you open and leave you that way tonight. I promise I won't. I promise. And we're going to talk. We've been, we've been overloading on the goodness of who our gracious, good, kind Father is for the purpose of not just ripping it open and leaving us wounded. We've been overloading on the knowledge of God because that's where the healing is. And so that's what we're going to do tonight. It's going to take me a minute to get there. But so I'm just, I'm just asking us, can we just allow the Lord to, you know, do what he wants to do and say what he wants to say? And, and, and it's not what I'm saying. It's what the Lord's saying to you about what I say. That's how it works. I say a little something. The Lord goes, <clears throat> listen, listen up right there. And so uh, I just am encouraging us. Let's, let's uh, allow the Lord to speak. I uh, have come under the heat of these thoughts many times in prayer, and they continue to minister to me. And so I want to um, invite you into the same experience of that. I, I um, have had these things that I've talked about really inspect me and found great healing in my heart as I've, I've allowed the Lord to, to speak to me about the spirit of adoption. And so let's talk about that. Uh, we've mentioned the last several weeks how uh, the knowledge of God is uh, the key issue for us and how our relationship with earthly fathers and earthly father figures many times um, gives us a lens in which we perceive God. And many times that's a negative thing. If we've had negative um, relationships with earthly fathers or father figures and it's been challenging for us, where we, maybe we didn't feel accepted or maybe they weren't affectionate or maybe they were just angry or abusive or, or controlling or whatever it may be, uh, many times what we'll do is our hearts get wounded uh, by our relationship with our earthly father and, or father figures and we will take those wounds and we will apply them to God and we will think of God the same way we think of our earthly father. And so because of that, many times people have a very um, uh, challenging situation when it comes to them relating to God. Because their natural examples uh, dictate to them and, and tell them that this is what the Heavenly Father is like. But He is not like even our greatest earthly example of an earthly father. He is absolutely off the charts better than anything we've ever seen. And that's what we've been talking about the last several weeks is how kind and affectionate and loving and tender he is and how desirous and delighted he is with us and how he corrects in kindness and in peace. And he's never judging or critical of us. And so this is our father. This is our eternal father. This is the one that Jesus came to show us. He came to show us the father. He came to be a manifestation of the father. And so, for us, this issue becomes, at the heart, a knowledge of God issue. And that's where our liberty is. When we come to find out more who God is, all the perversions and distortions in our mind about who God is as Father, when we come to know Him as He truly is, those perversions and distortions begin to leave. And rather than our hearts being locked down and closed down and cold, unable to experience God, all of a sudden, when the distortion leaves, our hearts begin to open and we're able to receive the love of God. And when we receive the love of God, beloved, that's what we were made for. You were made to be loved. You were not made to uh, perform. You were not made to do a duty or accomplish a task. We, we talk about destiny and we all have destiny in God. We all have purpose in God. It's an amazing thing that God allows us to partner with Him in His plans in the earth and that's how we derive purpose. But you were not specifically made to have a, a job. You were made 
to be the expression of the core reality of who God is. And the core reality of who God is, is love. And you were made to be the recipient of that core reality. You were made to be loved. Somebody said, well, I, I thought we were created to, be, to, to, to worship. Let me tell you something. He is 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands of angels surrounding his throne in worship. Do you think he needs more worship? Well, somebody goes, well, but, but I understand worship is voluntary love. If you believe worship is voluntary love, then the answer is yes, he made you to love. But if you think worship is just bowing down and saying, oh, you're great and I'm terrible, oh, you're great and I'm terrible, because a lot of times we have that vision of God because we've got a perverted mentality of who God is, he didn't make you just, to, you know, just to be some slave, some worship slave. He made you to be a lover. He created you to be loved and to love. That's what you were made for. And so this thing is a knowledge of God issue, and God wants to get right into the core of who we are and, and reveal identity to our hearts and draw us into this identity as one who is loved and who is a lover. What I've found is this, that when we have massive distortion in our minds about who God is because of uh, our experiences with earthly father figures, many times it will cause us to live aloof from God as father and as a result, rather than having the identity of a son or daughter, we will take on the identity of an orphan. And we'll be fully born again, born again, fully saved, but think like an orphan thinks. And relate to God like an orphan relates. And so I want to take us through a little, just a little path. And I want to um, identify the orphan mentality. And here's, here's what we would ordinarily do. We'd go, you know what? I've been saved for 25 years. I don't think I'm an orphan. I know I'm a son or a daughter. Okay, that's good. I'm glad for you. I want to encourage you to listen real carefully and see if any of this applies. Because I cannot read through this list. I, and, and, and I'm the one that wrote it. <laughs> you know, I drew, I drew from uh, Jack Frost. And if you know, don't know Jack Frost, you've got to check out Jack Frost. Shilohplace.org. I drew from him and, and came up with this, this stuff I'm about to give you. And every time I read it, it I identify certain areas in my heart where I don't have a, a mentality of sonship and adoption. And so I want to just encourage you to take a look at it. Don't look away. Just look at it and see if perhaps this helps you identify areas where you might see uh, yourself as an orphan or think about yourself as, with an orphan mentality. An orphan, a person with an orphan mentality... I'm just going to begin to go through these, these lists. I just want you to hear these things. A person with an orphan mentality many times has difficult receiving love. They have difficulty receiving um, affection, acceptance many times. And, and they're challenged many times receiving admonition or correction from God and from others. Um, they have a difficult time when they feel like they failed or when someone has failed them. You know, one that is struggling with an orphan mentality, when they failed... They just feel like their performance is paramount. And so when they've performed poorly, because their whole identity is built on what they can produce, when they feel like they've performed poorly and they've failed, all of a sudden they are absolutely disheveled and undone when, when they are seen as someone that has not performed well. 
And then when someone has failed them, one with an orphan mentality, when somebody has failed them, they are absolutely angered and infuriated. And the reason why is because to be done wrong and to be burnt and to be failed by another person is so painful. It touches those inner wounds. And that orphan uh, mentality says, how dare you do me wrong? And it, it operates with little grace towards others. And so while someone with an orphan mentality has a hard time receiving affection, they have a hard time giving affection, they have a difficult time dealing with the fact when they fail, and they also have a challenge when others have failed them. Uh, they live with a great emphasis on performance. They receive acceptance and approval from what they do and not who they are. And like I said earlier, God didn't create you to be a, a big doer. I mean, it's, it's imperative that we obey and we follow the word of God, but your identity is not in what you do. Somebody said, so, you know, what do you do? And we classify people by their job. Well, I'm a teacher. I'm a lawyer. I'm a doctor. I'm a police officer. I'm a, I'm a stay-at-home mom. And all of a sudden, our identity is completely in what we do. Well, let me tell you the problem with that. When our identity is wrapped up in what you do, when what you do doesn't go so good, all of a sudden, your identity is in the garbage. We've got to find our identity in something more than what we do. It's got to be who we are. And who we are, beloved, is not what we do. Who we are is what God says we are. And God says we are loved. We are accepted. We are delighted in and desired. And our identity must be rooted in that and not in anything that we do. One with an orphan mentality doesn't see themselves as one that's accepted. They don't see themselves as one who is loved. They see themselves as what, as one who does and whatever they do. And when what they does does not go well, what they do does not go well, all of a sudden their life caves in. Because they don't have any uh, identity in God as the one that accepts them regardless how well or how poorly they perform. One with an orphan mentality, they live without the belief of a promised inheritance. For orphans don't have fathers. See, one that has a father knows that their good father is leaving them an inheritance. But one who is an orphan, they don't believe they've got a father. They don't believe they've got a promised inheritance. And so one that lives without, a pro- without the revelation of a promised inheritance does this. They live their entire life trying to get all they can right here and right now. 100% of their focus ends up being on how can I take care of all my temporal needs and my temporal comforts. And beloved, we see this in the church all the time because what ends up happening is faith becomes something that we utilize to get something to take care of us right now. We don't have any picture of an eternal inheritance. And so the orphan mentality, it's, it's right through the church. When we use our faith only for that which is here and now, and we don't use our faith to uh, propel us to a greater vision of an age to come, and a reality of an inheritance that's to come, that's far greater than anything we could get in temporal measure, I tell you, we are moving in an orphan spirit. See, the, the one that is operating in the spirit of adoption, they can put off temporal pleasure with the mentality that they've got a great inheritance to come knowing that their good father would never let them down. And he is going to provide an inheritance that's far superior than any supposed temporal pleasure you can get in this age. The one with the orphan mentality, they have a hard time. They have a hard time putting off temporal pleasures and they live for immediate gratification at the expense of eternal rewards. The focus is right here and right now. How am I going to get provided for right here, right now? How am I going to do this right here and right now? I need to be taken care of right here and right now. They have no sense of a good father that's taking care of them right here and right now and no sense of an eternal inheritance from their good father. 
Why? Because they don't believe they've got a father. They think like an orphan. An orphan, one that lives like a spiritual orphan, they find comfort and identity in counterfeit affections. Counterfeit affections. Things like possessions. They find security in what they own. They find security in, in, in having things. And they find their identity through the stuff of their life. Somebody like, you know, to hear like Ian's testimony, I mean, that just absolutely throws the orphan mentality on tilt because it's like, you know, he's living in a car for a minute. It was just a minute. It was like a day, right? But it's still just a minute. And that would speak to so many of absolute failure. But he is absolutely at home in the love of the Father knowing God is going to provide for him and his family. What a stretch to the mind. Because the orphan mentality, what they do is they find strength and identity through what they own. But Jesus said your life doesn't consist of the things of which you own. It's not, your life isn't made up of what you have in this life. Your life is made up of an entirely different reality. So the one with the orphan mentality, they look at possessions as a means to gain identity. They have um, passions. They look for, for addictions and compulsions. Sometimes it's alcohol. Sometimes it's drugs. Sometimes it's food. Sometimes it's just busyness. In the church, sometimes it's just hyper-religiosity. The orphan gets, they get approval by showing everybody they're just spiritual. Just, you know, putting on a demeanor of doing and showing that God is, you know, important to them. And they, they work and work and work and work and work and work. They don't even know God. And by busyness, they try to affirm their acceptance. I call it toiling for validity in life. How we do that, beloved. How we live so often toiling and working and striving and achieving to get men to approve of us, to get our identity from from men so that men can tell us we are acceptable. We work hard so that um, men will give us a, a title and a position. We work hard. We toil. We'll labor our entire lives so we can get the promotion and the title and the platform. And I tell you, we wrap our whole identity up in that thing. And I tell you, it is not what God made you for. To have your identity wrapped up in some toil, in some men's approval. No man can tell you you're valid. Only God. The very fact that you're breathing air confirms his choice of you and confirms the validity of who you are. Because he chose you before the worlds began. He chose you before the worlds began. He predestined you to adoption. Before he made anything else, he thought about you. And that confirms the validity of who you are. Nothing you can do can confirm it. They want position. They want power. They want control. So there's this progression that people go through when they're going into an orphan mentality. I want to take you through the progression. There's about eight, eight points here. And here's what it, it begins with. Hurt from a natural father or a natural father figure. And what they do is they take that, that hurt and they apply it to their lens of God. They begin to think of God through that hurt of their lives. And here's how it begins to work. First, and these all build on one another. First, they begin to live with a fear of submission. A fear of submission of submission to authority 
They're worried, they're concerned that if they submit to an authority that they'll be treated wrongly or poorly. And, and many times it's just a simple aloofness. They just stay away from the authority figure. They don't want to get near that one. They might want to be in the crowd, but they definitely don't want to be close because they don't want to be told by an authority what to do because they've been hurt in their heart. And so they say, distant and they're afraid to, to get close and, and to submit to an authority. And, and the reason why is because they've been burned and hardened. They feel like, well, if I was to get close to that authority, I would get burnt again. And so when they begin to operate in this fear of submission, what they'll do is they'll begin to close their spirit down. Their heart will begin to, to close. Rather than being open and teachable, they'll close it down in an act of protection. And what will happen is in a time of crisis... Rather than running to people that are put in their lives by God for, uh, for help, they will run away from them because their hearts are closed down. When their hearts are closed down, they don't feel. They don't reach out. And a closed heart then moves them into an independent spirit. So their heart is closed. They won't reach out for help. They won't express emotion. So they shut their heart down and begin to live with independence and what the, what's going on is this because they've shut their heart down they don't want to um they don't want to ask for help so they, they get into a place of improper self-reliance thinking that the only way that i can get through this is if i take care of it myself and they get into an independent spirit they don't have anybody uh speaking into their life giving them help their heart is shutting down and they've got an improper reliance upon themselves an independent spirit. They can't be corrected. They can't be um, admonished. They can't be told anything because they're shutting down. They won't allow those that God's given in their life to, to give them help. And they rely solely upon themselves because they're, they're, having, they're fear. They're in fear because they're having fear of uh, not being in control. And at times it's fear of uh, letting someone else down. So they just say, I'll just do it myself. The independent spirit moves them into a place of denying their pain. Denying what's going on in the hurts of their heart. And here's how it looks. Many of us, we've got challenges, we've got pains, things working in our soul. Stuff that doesn't feel so good. And so we isolate and we insulate those pains. We don't allow those pains to come front and center. Because the, the, the reality of that pain out here... It seems to us to be far more painful than hiding that pain away in here. It's okay. It's okay. So what we would prefer to do is keep it inside. Deny that it's there. Insulate our hearts from these realities. And not allow God to minister to us. It's okay, beloved. And so here's where we live. We live hurt on the inside, not allowing God to deal with what's going on in us. Pain inside eating us up, yet on the outside keeping a very happy face, smiling, and presenting an exterior that's clean as a whistle, but inside it's not so happy, not so good. We don't want to deal with the pain of our heart. We don't want to allow people to know that we have pain. We, we don't want to show that we're weak. We want to ex- uh, express a strong exterior because... If we, if we show that we're weak, then we can't be independent. 
so this thing is a it just continues to be a challenge and so then what we'll end up doing is we'll control all of our relationships we'll control them through anger as soon as somebody steps over the line we'll blow up and we'll we'll cause people to be repelled or we'll control them through passivity we just won't allow anybody to get in and what that'll do is that'll move us into absolute superficiality and so all of our relationships will be surface level only because we don't want anybody to know the true state of our hearts. And I believe that many live in this place. And we do this in the church all the time. We go, how are you doing? I'm blessed. How are you? Blessed. Praise the Lord. Amen, brother. And we learn Christian jargon to hide ourselves because we're eat up with pain we're isolating ourselves on the inside we don't want anybody to see that we're weak we want to stay in our independence we don't want to have to answer to anybody that's in authority because we're afraid of what they might say or afraid of letting them down beloved what are we doing we're operating in an orphan mentality and these things absolutely control us we're superficial in intimacy we don't want to open our hearts And the bottom line is this. We just believe that if anybody really knew us, if they really knew us, they wouldn't want to know us. So we just don't show it. So finally we end up feeling completely alone, completely isolated, like we've got nowhere to go, even around family and friends. Even some of the most gregarious, buoyant people are absolutely isolated and alone in heart. Because their entire strength, because you look at that gregarious person, you go, man, they are so good with people. They are so, you know, fun to be around. And we look at that strength of being, you know, good in a crowd. And the point of what they've done is they've built that strength up to do what? To hide their weakness. And so their, their great buoyant heart and their fun attitude, what that's done is it's insulated them from having to show the true reality of their heart. And so many, many times that one has built that strength to, to, to hide the weakness. And so they have this challenge of living alone on the inside and many times they're the life of the party. And so we are completely ultimately living like an orphan job way to go as as hard as we try to be cool it just we're just not 
So in our loneliness, we end up being isolated and absolutely estranged from the love of the Father. And we don't know where to go. And we just continue to live in this cycle of hiding pain, superficial in relationships, and alone in heart. And beloved, that's not where God wants us to live. I identify about 12 different areas. I just want to run through these quickly. That explains an orphan mentality versus the spirit of sonship, the spirit of adoption, and just the difference. And I just want to run through them, and then I want to turn us to Romans 8 and begin to talk about the spirit of adoption. But in the area of dependency, an orphan mentality is independent, self-reliant, always. But the one that's operating in the spirit of adoption, they're interdependent. They recognize their need for others. They recognize that they're part of the body, part of the family with multiple brothers and sisters, and we all have part to play together. In the area of security, one with an orphan mentality, they're insecure. They lack peace. They, they're in turmoil in their heart at many, many times. But the one that's operating in a spirit of adoption is secure. They know their identity. They know the father has, has their back, has got them covered. They know that they're taken care of and they, they live in a place of rest. And the issue of approval, the one with the orphan mentality, they strive for approval from men. They want men's acceptance above everything else. They want the title, the position, the platform. They toil for validity with, with the whole of their life, wanting men to call them, you know, something good. And if men will say something good about them, they'll believe that they're approved of and accepted. But the, the one that's operating the spirit of adoption, they have their total acceptance in God. It doesn't matter what they do in life because they recognize that God accepts them He made them, He created them to be loved, and He accepts them. They live in a total sense of approval without regard to their performance. One uh, in the area of of service and the motive, one that's an orphan mentality, they have a a need for personal achievement to impress God and others. They, They want to show that they're worthy to be accepted, and that's why they serve. But the one that's uh, operating in a spirit of adoption, they're motivated by gratitude. They think it's just amazing that God loves them. And because of the unconditional love of God moving in their heart, it releases might, and they've got energy to serve and be a blessing and give. As it relates to uh, being disciplined, Christian discipline, the one that's operating the orphan mentality, they think of, you know, Bible reading and prayer as, as a duty that they have to do or else they'll be in, you know, bad favor with the Lord. But the one that's operating the spirit of adoption, their heart is alive in love, and they look at the disciplines of Christianity, reading, praying, whatever, and they look at that as an absolute blessedness in their life and something that they get to do. They look at it as a, not as a chore, but as something that they delight in. They have a desire and, and a pleasure to be disciplined. As it relates to being pure, the one that's operating an orphan mentality, they think that they must be holy to have God's favor. And because they, they have this sense of if they're not holy, God won't accept them, they operate with shame and guilt. They walk around condemned most of the time because they're so aware of the, the one or the two places where they step out of line all the time. They, they have no sense of, of acceptance and love of the Father. And so they, they walk around with this, this guilt consciousness. As far as the one that's operating in the spirit of adoption, they desire to be holy because they understand the love of God. 
They don't want anything to get in the way to hinder that love. They don't want there to be any barrier. So they want to keep their heart completely free. And it's, it's liberating to be free. It's, it's a great desire and a great delight of their heart to be free. So they want to be pure. Hunger from, for righteousness comes from the place of love and understanding you're accepted. People think, well, if you tell people that God loves them and accepts them even when they're weak, it's going to strengthen them to sin. It's completely the opposite. Because when you know that you're accepted, even though you're weak, all of a sudden your heart goes, hey, that feels good. I love being loved. And in that place, you don't go, now, I love being loved. My heart's a little free. I want to go sin as much as I can. You go, oh, wait, my heart's alive. Oh, I want to increase this. Oh, well, I want to get closer to God. I want this thing to come alive. Your motive for your purity is, be- is because your heart is alive and you know you're accepted. You don't want anything to hinder that, that sensation of the love of God and that intimacy with, with God. As it relates to relationships, and this is so clear. It's just, this is one that just sticks out. The one operating in the orphan mentality, they're in absolute competitive rivalry. They don't want anybody to do a little better than them. They want to be the best. They want to show and prove to the world that they can and they can achieve. And and they're competitive and they don't want anybody to muscle in on their territory. But the one that's operating in a spirit of adoption, they're absolutely secure in the love of the Father and they desire for everyone to to do well and to to be promoted. And they love it when people are promoted around them. And I, I see this so often amongst us as believers where this... This uh, lack of desire to see people promoted, it proliferates us in the church. What is it? It's an orphan mentality. We desire, the one that's operating in the spirit of adoption, they want humility and unity in relationships. and They love and they rejoice when others are blessed. As it relates to uh, dealing with other people who have faults, the one that's operating in the orphan mentality, they, they, uh, they operate in accusation, And they expose people to try to beat them down and break them down in order to make themselves look better. We've seen that so often when we've had ministers fall. Many times there's no, yes, I believe that needs to be public. And yes, I believe if it's a public sin, it needs to be public. It needs to be repented of. But so often we have this tearing down of the man that's fallen into sin. He's been shamed and humiliated. What happened to restore one another in a spirit of meekness looking to yourself lest you also be tempted. And what's going on there is that we're operating in an orphan mentality rather than uh, handling the others with love that, cover, uh, that, co- that seeks to cover and be a blessing. And that's how one that uh, is operating in the spirit of adoption is because they look at us as brothers and sisters and family together and we're part of one another. And what we want to do is we want to restore and bless. And I'm not saying it shouldn't be exposed and shouldn't be repentant of it. It absolutely should. But then there also should be absolute restitution and restoration where the guy is repentant. Let's, let's see if we can restore him and see him come back. And let's restore one another in a spirit of meekness. Authority. The orphan mentality sees authority as a source of pain. They're distrustful toward authority. and They lack a hard attitude of submission. One that's operating in a spirit of adoption, they're respectful and honoring of authority. They see authority as ministers of God. They have no problem because they're secure in their relationship with God as Father. View of admonition and correction. The the orphan mentality is difficulty receiving admonition. 
And the reason why is because they get their, their feelings hurt easily and they, they close themselves to uh, spiritual discipline and, and, and being corrected. They don't want to get hurt again. So they have a hard time receiving admonitions. The one that's operating the spirit of adoption, they, they see the love in the, in the admonition. They see it as a source of blessing. And they love to, to grow and, and see their faults removed and, and see themselves grow in maturity and closer to the Lord. They're, they're confident. And their expression of love, the orphan mentality is guarded. It's conditional. They're based, uh, they base their love upon others' performance. And they're always trying to get their own needs met. And the one that's offering, operating in a spirit of adoption, they're affectionate, they're open. They lay their life down. And they want to see other needs, others' needs met. You know one thing I realize about this generation this generation, I, I think, I mean, we just embody this. We say, I love you, but really what we mean is, I love me. That's what we, we go, I, we, in romantic relationships, the, the guy goes to the girl, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. And what he's saying is, I love how you make me feel. I love me. I love how I feel when I look at you. I love how I feel when you're with me. I love how I feel when you make me laugh. I love me. Because I love you is I'm thinking about you and how I can bless and benefit you. That's what I love you is God so loved that he gave. I love you is what is it in you that I can cause to be blessed? What is it in you that I can cause to be fulfilled? I want to give to you that your heart would be a, 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 a fulfilled and overflowing. But I think because we're so wrapped up with an orphan mentality, trying to get all we can because orphans don't believe they've got an inheritance, they're trying to get everything under themselves, we just say, I love you, but we really mean I love me. It's painful, but that's just true, beloved. And then as it relates to our future, the one with an orphan mentality, they try to fight for all they can get right now. They have no sense of a future inheritance. But the one that's got the spirit of adoption, they realize that their good father is taking care of them. They receive everything they have because their good father is taking care of them. And they live this life with a view to an eternal inheritance. That's, that's the total way that they have uh, their lens on this life. Knowing that their good father is going to take care. So maybe one part of one of these or one of these has touched you. Or more. And so, how then do we get delivered of that? The thing about the orphan mentality is it doesn't get cast out because it's a belief system that we've come to embrace over years. It's something that gets displaced by the revelation of the Word and the, and the, the feelings and the emotions of God. As we come to know God and His feelings and His emotions toward us, it displaces the orphan mentality and we begin to operate in a spirit of adoption, thinking ourselves more as sons and daughters than as orphans and slaves. And so this comes through cultivating the Word of the Lord in your heart as it relates to God's emotions and His thoughts and feelings towards you. 
And that thing will begin to shift, and all of a sudden you will begin to believe that you are accepted by the affectionate Father, you're taken care of, and you're loved. And it comes not just you know, through some deliverance thing. It could come through you know, a blast from the Spirit of the Lord causing things to shift in your heart and you get revelation. But it ultimately, it's revelation to your heart where your heart comes alive and the emotions and the knowledge of the way God feels about you. That is the key. And we cultivate that by chewing on the word, meditating on the word, saying the word, and allowing the word to wash our hearts and and instruct our hearts about the way that God feels. Now, I want to talk about the spirit of adoption. I have a few more minutes. Let's just lock in. I believe the Lord wants to release a little of this to us tonight. Romans 8 says, verse 15. You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself, he bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. The New International says, co-heirs with Christ if indeed we suffer with him that we may also be glorified together NIV says that we may also share in his glory you know when we say the spirit of adoption I think a lot of things a lot of images come into our minds and I think that we've got a challenging view of what adoption really is and I think many times we equate um, adoption with something very negative because our human institutions of adoption many times are challenging and negative and we hear the story about the child that was adopted and it was a horror story and we think very very poorly of what adoption is and and more than that we, many 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 of us uh, in fact I think probably the, ma- the, the vast majority of us either come from a divorce or blended family situation and so because we come from that we have a much stronger vision of what it means to live in a step family or a blended family environment and not an adopted family environment and if we do live in an adopted family environment we have very very few examples of an adopted family environment that actually is operating in the true spirit of adoption most have a picture of what it means to have a step environment with a stepmother a stepfather stepbrothers and stepsisters uh, and, and very few have an understanding of what it means to live in an adoptive environment that is actually um, moving with the spirit of adoption. Let me illustrate. The stepfather, he's going to marry the, 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 the woman. He's going to be joined to the family. And that father chooses the spouse. He chooses the woman. But we've got multiple examples of him, of a, of a father choosing a, a woman, a mother, and they get married, and he, he chooses the wife, but he tolerates the children. And we think of that as the sort of the spirit of adoption. This father that sort of just tolerates kids, and they're not his, and most of the time they don't take his name, and he doesn't adopt them. And the guy that married the wife, he's got a different name. The wife's got a different name, but the kid's got a different name. The kids have a different name because their name, their identity is tied to their uh, estranged uh, father while the mom is married to a guy that didn't choose the kids. And our image of that, I think, plays totally right into the spirit of adoption in our minds. 
And we have no concept of the spirit of adoption because we've, we live so uh, uh, aware of the challenges and the tragedy of the, uh, uh, that goes on in blended families many times. Now, many times there's great blended families. They go really, really well. There's a spirit of adoption there. The father adopts the children. And it goes wonderful. It's beautiful. But that is not generally the case. Most of us have a, a challenging perspective on that. And so we look at the spirit of adoption and we think it means this. The spirit of adoption is a father who tolerates children. Sort of has to. So God chose you and predestined you to adoption because he sort of had to. But I want to tell you this. Romans 8 is clear. That the father wanted to send the spirit of his son into your heart. Crying, Abba, Father. And the one that's operating in the spirit of adoption, it's this. The full intention of the father was always for the child to believe that he was just as much the child of the father as the actual natural child. The true spirit of adoption, that father wants the child to believe that that child is just as much his as that, chi- as that father's other siblings, other, other children. And so when we talk about the spirit of adoption... The idea is this, that we would be fully believing that we are just as much the child of the Father God as Jesus is the child of the Father God. That's the spirit of adoption. Beloved, I want to tell you the reason why God sent the Spirit into your heart testifying to you that you're the children of God is so that you would believe you are just as much His son or His daughter as Jesus is His son. You are no different to God. You are no different to the Father than Jesus is. As a child, you are no different. That is a powerful truth that if it will get into our hearts, it will absolutely blow away every thought that being adopted makes a second class. Being adopted is a function of choice by the Father. He looked and he chose you and he wove your DNA together through hundreds of generations and it's a testimony that you were chosen because God is sovereign and he knows how to make you right now. And He made you now because he wanted you because he chose you before time began to adopt you. He predestined you to adoption so that you would relate to him no differently than Jesus relates to him. The spirit of adoption says to the son, you're just as much my son, adopted son, as my natural son is. I see no difference between you. And that's what the father is saying over you. You don't have to think like an orphan when the father always, always wanted you to to relate to him with the same intimacy as Jesus relates to him. So the testimony that he puts in us is the the Spirit testifying to us what? That we are his children. Just as much his children as Jesus is his child. In fact, more than that, the Spirit is inside of us and it's crying out and it's saying, Abba, Father. And I explained this in a previous session, but I'm going to say it again. In In the household, in the New Testament times, in the Greek word, and, uh, pater would be used p-a-t-e-r we get the word paternal from that and that word pater would be the 
the, the standard title that the, the head man, the head father in the house would receive. And all the servants of the house would call him that, and even his children could call him that, pater. And it just meant father, the guy in charge over the house. But the servants could not call him Abba. Because Abba was a term of endearment only reserved for the children. For the natural children. So while the servants would call him Pater, the natural children would call him Abba. Let me tell you something. God never wanted you to relate to him as a servant or a slave or an orphan. And, and he never wanted you to think that you were not connected to him in intimacy. You know how I know? Because he sent his spirit into your heart. And the spirit that's in your heart cries from within you, Abba. Not Pater. He's wanting you to relate to him just like his natural child relates to him. The cry from your heart is Abba. Only the ones that are the true sons and the daughters can say Abba. And that's what he wants you to say to him. Abba. Beloved, the spirit of adoption gives you the same relationship with the father as what Jesus had all this orphan mentality that keeps us veiled and away from God I tell you it is such a lie it's the exact opposite of the way the father wants us to relate to him because he has put his spirit into us saying you are my intimate daddy Abba I love that the spirit is telling me all day long that I'm just like Jesus to him. I'm just as much his as Jesus is. I'm just as much his son as Jesus is. I want to say it over you. You are just as much God's son. You are just as much God's daughter as Jesus is God's son. He doesn't see you any differently. He doesn't look at you as, you know, some little slave that he just picked up. He says, no, I am making you a son and let me prove it to you. He goes, I will do this crazy thing. I will split the inheritance that I'm going to give my rightful heir. I will split it with you. See, if he was making the adopted one a second class citizen... He go, you know what, I'll let you in the house, I'll let you eat at the table, I'll even let you call me Abba, but you know what, you get no inheritance. You know, you're not really the same. It's my, that's my flesh and blood over there, he's getting the inheritance, but not you. Well, I'll we'll take care of you, but I won't give you the inheritance. No, no, he goes, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to let you in the house. I'm going to let you call me Abba, because I want to be intimate with you. I'm going to testify to your heart by my spirit that you are mine, and I'm going to take the inheritance that I was given to my son, I'm going to split it with you. I want to make you a co-heir with Christ. A joint heir with Christ. So what are you talking about, Billy? Well, all I know is this. The Bible says in Revelations 2 and in Revelation 3 that Jesus is going to give us the ability to sit with him on his throne in the age to come. And that we are going to rule the nations with Jesus just as the Father gave it to Jesus. We get to sit there with Jesus and rule with him. And then the Bible says this in Hebrews 1, that Jesus is the heir of all things. But you know what the Bible says about you in Revelation 21? You are going to inherit all things. Do you know what the Father did? Something unthinkable. He begot His only Son. He destined Him for an inheritance. And then He makes finite created people. And He goes, I've got a plan, Son. 
He goes, there's something brewing inside of me. I want a family. I want them to be close, but I don't want them to think of themselves as second-class citizens. I want them to think of themselves as my own. I want them to think of myself as dear to me. I want to absolutely blow away anything that would make them feel like they're aloof or apart. And so, son, what I want to do is I want to give you the inheritance of all things, but you know what I need you to do? I need you to split it with all those that are going to be in the family. I want to make them co-heirs, joint heirs with you. You're going to receive an inheritance, but I want you to split it with them. What do you think? Jesus goes, Father, I want to go and I want to die. I want to spill my blood so that we can have a full family and that you can express your love to the children that you've predestined. I want to die, but there's one thing. I don't want them to feel like they're slaves in the house. I don't want them to think like they're second-class citizens. So, Father, I insist that they would have half of the inheritance. The Father wants to make you joint heirs. And the Son says, yes, it's a good plan. I insist joint heirs with Christ Jesus says I want you to sit with me on my throne in Revelation 3 in Revelation 2 he says you're going to rule the nations with a rod of iron just like the father gave it to me to do that's unthinkable beloved that's off the charts he doesn't ever 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 want you to feel like a second class citizen in the house he split the inheritance with Jesus for you oh That's huge. Not only does he let you call him Abba, not only does he save you, forgive you, you all that cleanse you, get you in the house, gives you the intimate title that you can call him so you can relate to him just like his own son. He splits the inheritance with you. How crazy is that? Why does he do that? One more verse. Isaiah 42. I want to blow the spirit, the orphan mentality. I want to blow it away. I want to blow it out of us. I want to get it so far. I want it to sound so foreign to us that you would think like an orphan thinks or feel like an orphan thinks. I want to get it so far out of our mentalities because that's not the heart of the Father for us. Isaiah 42 Behold, my elect one, my servant whom I uphold, my elect one, in whom my soul delights, because I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. Verse 6, I, the Lord, have called you, speaking to the Son. I have called you in righteousness, and I will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. I want you to imagine with me for a moment the delight in the heart of the eternal father as he's saying this over the son behold he goes voila look at my servant the one whom I uphold the one in whom I delight the one whom I have chosen he will be a light to the nations I will hold his hand. Speaking over the son. 
Can you imagine the joy in the heart of the eternal Father as he has got the, I mean, he's got the predestined plan of all creation. And can you imagine the day in which he begets the Son? He doesn't create the Son, he begets him. He pulls him from, out, from inside of his nature and, and creates, uh, begets the Son. He doesn't create him. Jesus is uncreated just as the Father. He begets the Son. Can you imagine the joy in the heart of the eternal Father over the Son? He's seeing all of his days before he's ever even lived one. He knows he's going to live completely abandoned. He knows he's going to be completely sinless. He knows he's going to follow 100% of the will of the Father. He's going to lay down his life as a sacrifice for many. Can you imagine the joy in the heart of the eternal Father over the Son? He goes, behold, my servant. He goes, my elect one. The one that I chose. The one in whom my soul delights. God goes, my heart is happy. He goes, I'm alive. He goes, I'm feeling so good about my son. I love him. He's awesome. He's wonderful. He makes me happy. And the eternal father, the one in whom his presence is fullness of joy. He's exploding with joy and delight over Jesus. He goes, I'll hold his hand. I'll uphold him. He's never going to fail. I'm going to be right there with him. I'm going to hold his hand. I'm not going to let him fall. I'm going to uphold him. He goes, I'm going to keep him, and I'm going to send him. This is powerful. It's the way the Father feels about the Son. John 17, 23, just write it down. Jesus prays. It's high priestly prayer. He goes, Father, I pray that they would know that you love them the way you love me. They would know that you feel about them the same way you feel about me. Jesus couldn't pray that unless it was the will of the Father. He can only say what he heard the Father say. He can only do what he heard the Father do. So when he prays that, he can only pray what the Father wanted him to pray. And the Father wants you to know that he feels the same way about you as he feels about Jesus. So Isaiah 42, you ought to just write your name by it. Do you know what the Father's saying? He goes, behold, my son. Behold, my daughter. The one in whom my soul delights. He goes, this one's my favorite one. This is my elect one. This is my chosen one. This is the one I'm going to uphold. This is my daughter. This is my son. This is the one I'm going to hold her hand. I'm going to hold his hand. You know what the Father is saying over you? He loves you the way he loves Jesus. He's glad about you the way he's glad about Jesus. He's chosen you and elected you the way he chose and elected Jesus. And I tell you what, he's going to uphold you and even, oh, I love that verse. Hold your hand. Hold your hand. See, I don't know about you, but I know about me. I need my hand held. I need my hand held. I mean, it's just not easy sometimes. I'm like, um, Abba? And we, here's how we go. We go, I'm like, man, it's hard. Like, could you like, please? I mean, just please, a little help. Oh, please. He goes, I delight in you. Stick your hand out. I want to hold it. The one in whom my soul delights. That's you. 
That's the spirit of adoption. You're no different. You're not a second class citizen. You're no different than Jesus in the eyes of the Father. Even down to him splitting the inheritance. Beloved, we've lived like slaves and orphans in this life because we have no concept of the way the Father feels. We've lived estranged from the love of the Father because we have no concept of the way he thinks about us. Let me tell you something. He is happy about you. You are the one in whom his soul delights. That's good. Do you guys, are you guys hearing this? Because <laughs> this is good for me. I mean, he likes me. <laughs> I, I mean, I've had, I don't know how many counseling sessions that, and I you know, immediately can tell, I'll be talking to the person, I can immediately tell they don't know how God feels about them. And I'll just start going, man, you know what I know? God likes me. And they're like, that's nice, but what about my problem? I go, no, no, you don't get it. God likes me. He so likes me. He thinks my jokes are funny. He likes me. It doesn't matter if people don't like me. It doesn't matter if I hop bombs. It doesn't matter if it goes great. You know why? God likes me. It doesn't matter if I preach on platforms to millions or I preach in this little room to a hundred. It really doesn't matter because God, he likes me. He likes me. And I'll go, you know what? He likes you. God likes you. You're the one that makes his soul delight. You make his soul delight. I'll just say it to you over and over. You make his soul have delight. God likes you. You're no different than Jesus. You're adopted. You've been given an inheritance the same as Jesus. God likes you. This is the reality of the spirit of adoption and our sonship. We don't have to live estranged from the Father. We feel like this because we think we're, we have an orphan mentality. We think, oh man, here I go. I'm going to have to pray today. I know God's mad. And since he's mad about me, he's mad at me, and I, I know I haven't done right, you know, I just have to muster it up. And we just go, um, um, like, uh, hey, God up there in the clouds, um, could you like help because it's bad down here? He goes, there you are. Come here. Um, God, mean God who doesn't like me, um, could you like give me a little help? He goes, that's not the way I feel about you. Come here. Come here. He's always drawing us with loving kindness. He likes you. He delights in you. You don't have to live like an orphan. I'm convinced of this. We focused on receiving Jesus. We focus on receiving Jesus because it is the key to salvation. If we don't receive Jesus, we don't know God. We don't have the Father. You can't have the Father without the Son. We have to receive Jesus. And so because we focus on receiving Jesus, but we live estranged from the Father, we, we don't enter into the love of God and the acceptance of the Father. I'm convinced of this. We need to accept who the Father is to us, just like we accept Jesus. Now, not in regard to our salvation, because we are saved. Once you receive Jesus, you're saved. But I'm talking about in your heart, as it relates, as it relates to how you relate to God. That you have to embrace who the Father is, the one that likes you, who's not critical over you, who doesn't judge you, the one who delights in you. He delights in you. The Father delights in you. Let's just stand.
I feel like I could say that to you for an hour. The Father delights in you, beloved. He delights in you. He delights in you. He wants to hold your hand. That whole never leave you nor forsake you thing, he meant that. He wants to hold your hand. Abba, we come in the name of Jesus. Lord, we are a broken people. We live veiled the knowledge of who you are. God, I pray that we would come to a revelation of the spirit of adoption. We would recognize that you feel about us the same as you feel about Jesus. You think about us the same way you think about Jesus. You delight in us the same way you delight in Jesus. You say over us, Behold, my son, my daughter. The one in whom my soul delights. God, I pray that you would begin to do violence on orphan mentalities in us, God. That you would release the spirit of adoption to us. The spirit of adoption. We would know we're just as much sons and daughters as Jesus is. We would be, feel the testimony from the Spirit in our hearts. Abba, Father, crying from within us, testifying, we're just the same to you as Jesus is. You're not some mean stepfather. You're the Father that loves us the way you love your Son. God, that we'd have a picture of the inheritance. How could it be? You'd split the inheritance. Your son who you made, the one the heir of all things. You split the inheritance. 